The Nemeth Narratives is a collection of stories infused with delightful and insightful thoughts, punctuated with side trips to the fear and anxiety that often challenges many of us in moving forward towards our goals, our dreams, our successes. This is a collection of stories narrated by the authors that take us through their personal journeys intermingled with the roller coaster ride of emotions. For some, it's the first time they've shared, and it started with one thought everyone has a story. Our collection of stories began as the participants coast their creativity out over plates of comforting Filipino food. Through the sounds of joyful sharing, Alicia, that's me, Emma and Benito explained the concept of using community-friendly platform, a podcast, so that this group of younger generation artists and creatives in San Diego could share their journeys of hope. It was not an easy process. It took several months of self-exploration and intuitive storytelling by each of our subjects before they each settled on a topic and allowed themselves to hear their own voice and share them with us, the audience. The culmination of self and group growth led us to our first collaboration, The Nemeth Narratives. We thank and honor our storytellers for allowing us to accompany them on their journey. And the following artists are Adrian Pangilinan, Elixis Julio, Isabel Adamos, Jessica Mercado, Kayla Gelang, Marian Aguas, Marisa Rojas, Martha Gators, Pauline Scully, Seth Dasho, and Trixie Aguiao. The Nemeth Narratives is funded by the Alexander and Eva Nemeth Foundation and done in partnership with the San Diego Filipino Cinema, a San Diego-based nonprofit. The project is led by the wonderful Alicia De Leon Torres, a creative writer and the deputy director of the Nemeth Foundation, Emma Francisco Bautista, an award-winning independent film producer, and me, Benita Bautista, an independent film director. My name is Alexis Julio. I am a Filipino-American surfer, engineer, and filmmaker. And my podcast is called Bowing Beneath the Blue. I close the faucet and stand with my head against the porcelain shower wall, water dripping from my lips. It's the year 2009. I'm a junior in high school living in my parents' place in Temecula, suburbia. I step out of the shower and wipe the foggy mirror atop the bathroom sink. It's the beginning of summer. School's out, and it's nice, warm, 75 degrees Fahrenheit. But I'm shivering. But it's not the temperature that my body's reacting to. It's just a shower, I tell myself. The water isn't going to hurt me. And although I consciously say this, I imagine the stream of water splashing against my face and grimace. The mist on the mirror obscures most of my body, but I can't seem to stare at my reflection out of shame. I can step into a bathtub, no problem. I can wade in the shallow end of a pool. Hell, I used to play around in the man-made pond that my parents built long ago. But once the water touches my face, my adrenaline kicks in, my heart races. And every day, I instinctively turn away from the shower head 
head hanging towards the porcelain floor, and back guarded. How many of you even know which way you face in the shower? The root of all fear. I can't remember exactly when all this started, but there was one memory that stood out to me. I was in elementary school, maybe in first or second grade, and my cousin Athirisa had a small community pool in her apartment, and it was summer vacation. She and all the other cousins were laughing and playing at the far deep end of the pool. They were all raised in P.I., where swimming came naturally. I remember being on the opposite end, in the shallow end, right where the stairs gradually declined underwater. A long metal support bar guided you down into the deep end. I was an introvert, even back then, so I waited at the edge of the pool, watching my cousins enviously have fun from afar. My cousin Risa was floating on her back in a leisurely manner, like a relaxed starfish. I wondered how she did that. Just lift up your body, kick up your legs, and lean back. It can't be that hard, right? I thought I would give it a go, using the metal bar to support me. Things were calm. So far, so good. Lean back a little more. A little more. A little more. Splash! I slipped and my face plunged for a few moments, but it felt like an eternity. For that brief period, I lost all sense of control. I couldn't breathe. The very thing I took for granted, so basic, my breath, was taken from me. I didn't drown. It was shallow enough where my flailing got me back to safety, but the mere possibility was enough to scare me for a lifetime. Inheritance. Growing up in the Philippines, my parents didn't have any formal swimming lessons. I asked my dad how he learned how to swim. He just shrugged his shoulders and said, I don't know, I just figured it out. He had been to many pools in the Philippines and just gradually learned. Apparently, it was a common thing for him and his friends to sneak into a pool to cool off and play. My mom, on the other hand, was deathly afraid of the water. If so much as a single drop of pool water splashed across her face, she would frantically wipe the area with her hands as if she was infected by a deadly virus. It was a natural response given her history. She had access to the same kinds of pools that my dad had, but unfortunately did not have the greatest support network. Being one of the few girls in a family of roughhousing brothers meant that she was going to get swimming lessons all right, being pushed into the deep end to fend for herself, sink or swim. We inherit things from our parents, both good and bad, and recent research into the epigenetics shows that there's a scientific basis for this. Brian Diaz and Carrie Ressler at the Emory University in Atlanta ran a study where they exposed laboratory mice to a certain odor. Upon release of that odor, a shock was delivered to them, triggering a negative response. The negative response was natural. It doesn't take a PhD to realize that, you know, touching a hot pan makes you more anxious to touch it again the second time. What was surprising was that the descendants of these mice retained negative responses when exposed to the odor, even without accompanying electric shock. The trauma was inherited. Further studies have to be shown whether this happens consistently and whether this happens in humans, but the study suggests that we may be inheriting more from our parents than our brown eyes and black hair. Whether I genetically inherited the fear from my mother or whether I developed the fear through my own experience didn't really matter. Nature versus nurture was the wrong question to ask. The question was how I was going to move forward. But where do I even begin? First paddle. These days, a quick Google search about learning how to swim will give you 20 different videos on YouTube on the topic. 
each with their own special method and branding. Influencers one-up each other to make the most viral and optimized how-to video at your fingertips. Those luxuries weren't easily accessible to me back then. Or maybe I was too afraid to receive them. My lonely, shy self was embarrassed at the thought of even asking. But what I lacked for in resources and courage, I made up for in grit and discipline. I had a few ideas from the years of watching my cousins behind the scenes, and I needed to try things out. The next door of business was to have a pool to train in. Fortunately for me, a small community pool a short 15 minutes walk away was available for me to use at my leisure. I scoped out the area and deduced the prime times were from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. I was ready to endure the pain of waking up early to reduce any risk of being judged. Fueled by my determination, I showed up at that pool the very next day at 7 a.m. sharp. A large black gate guarded the way to a model-like home interior. Small cobblestones paved the path to a set of bolted-down barbecue grills and dining areas. A decently-sized grassy area and a kiddie pool created a homely, familial atmosphere. It was an inviting pool not even six feet deep compared to the Olympic-sized rec pools that had scores of swimmers bouncing across the lanes. In my eyes, however, this was a quiet arena the stage with which my opponent would be fear itself. I fastened my navy boots swim goggles, then gently but firmly sipped onto the pool floor. The goggles offered some sense of comfort against the splashes of water against my face. Visualizing the motion I saw from my cousins, I lifted up my arms, took a deep breath, and kicked off the wall, and proceeded to flail in a single spot like a dead fish. Already out of breath, my heart pounding from anxiety, I slouched against the pool wall. I regained my composure and visualized again. Hands cupped, arms down. Scoot back. Lean forward. Nothing. I did it once more. And again. Once more, this time straining to keep my eyes open amidst the anxiety. I was no match even for the basic doggy paddle. From the few split seconds I could see underneath the water surface, it seemed like what I was doing was right. But why can't I float? Why am I still sinking? I tried about 10 different variations, each one more outrageous than the last. Fear quickly tagged out and was replaced with a sibling. Deep frustration. Coughing with a mix of physical, mental, and emotional exhaustion, I walked back to the car in shame and retired for the day. The memories were faint and blurred in the weeks afterwards. Day after day at 7 a.m. in the summer mornings, flailing, gasping for air, mustering small ounces of courage to put my face even in for a second, two seconds, three seconds, monotony. The drowned-out days didn't dramatically reduce anxiety, but it did make it predictable. Some days almost felt boring. It was clear I wasn't making any progress. I exposed myself and showed up at the arena every morning. Wasn't that enough to swim? Wasn't that enough to overcome fear? True victory. Exasperated and frustrated at my lack of progress, I sought solace in other activities, walking my dog Bimo, playing video games, eating one too many hot pockets, and martial arts. Twice a week, I trained with my father at the Kodokai Aikido Dojo. Aikido is a martial art from Japanese roots developed by Morohei Weshiba O-sensei, and is as much a defensive fighting style as much as a philosophy of life. 
there are no offensive movements focusing on primarily redirecting the energy of your partner. It is a martial art that focuses on the harmony, flow, and self-mastery. Masakatsu agatsu, as Ueshiba O-sensei put it. True victory is victory over the self. One summer Wednesday evening, we had a particularly intense training session. Somersaults, flips, and arm bars sounded against the salted blue dojo floor with no sign of rest. My mentor, Minoru Oshima-sensei, was more Mr. Miyagi than Mr. Miyagi ever was. Explanations for techniques were often substituted by more throws and more rolls. Less talk, more moving. More experience. In these moments where you're pushed to the physical limit, it can be easy for your mind and body to tighten up, double down, and move like a two-ton weight. After the end of every training session, I had vivid memories of kneeling on the dojo floor with my partners, eyes closed for a meditation session. With our eyes closed and body still, Oshima Sensei would synchronize the group with deep, resounding inhales and exhales, and a pair of small block-shaped wooden clappers would set the pace. The cool summer wind grazed against my sweat-drenched face. I could feel myself being transported to a distant Asian mountaintop. I was like a Buddhist monk in ancient Japan, training in secret within the monasteries and the grass-covered mountains, becoming one with nature. The tightness in my legs and fists began to loosen. My adrenaline subsided. The heaviness in my mind and body began to lift. It was almost as if I was floating flying, swimming. My eyes widened to the final sound of the wooden clappers, signaling the end of the meditation. I wonder, by any chance? With a curious but determined exhale, I returned to the back to the dojo floor and drove back home, my mind racing with ideas. A week later, I showed up at that black-gated arena. The pool surface looked a brighter blue this time, not unlike the dojo floor I had practiced on a few nights earlier. One of my other Aikido mentors, Kistutis Viskirta, always used to say that Aikido practice was like painting on a canvas. It was customary for all students to kneel on two knees and bow before entering the dojo floor. Other than as a sign of respect, he mentioned, the bow symbolized turning to a new canvas. Let go of all that you know, all that you think you know, and become a beginner again. Each practice is an opportunity to draw on a new canvas. I walked towards the pool edge and kneeled, assuming the customary bow before each Aikido practice. New canvas. With a soft breath, I faced my reflection in the water and gently bowed, my forehead nearly touching the concrete. I thought about what I normally did in these sessions, a frantic half-assed doggy paddle, a sad attempt on floating my back. With my swim goggles on, I walked towards the shallow end of the pool, leaned my back up against the wall for safety, and took one more deep breath and bowed beneath the blue water surface. With my heart beating for mercy, I began to visually move to the distant place in the mountains. I exhaled softly through my nose, the bubbles floating to the top surface. I jumped out of the water to catch my breath, and when my heart rested, I gently knelt down again. 
Whatever curriculum I had fixed together up to this point, I had thrown out the window. No swimming drills, no failing. When it really came down to it, I wasn't afraid to jump into the pool and wait in the shallow end. I could move in my arms and legs in the water no problem. No anxiety. What I really was afraid of was not being able to breathe. Submerging my entire body and face into water. To let go and surrender. The next few sessions were much of the same. Bowing, sitting, kneeling, exhaling underneath the water surface. Sometimes I tried to doggy paddle or two, but it wasn't my goal anymore. My goal was just to be present, to sense everything around me, to connect with what was in front of me. My heart raced nearly every time underneath, but with the consistent and short exposures, I soon began to notice my heart beating ever so slightly slower. After about five or ten sessions of this, I decided to change the pace up and go in the evening. The nights were still warm in Temecula, so hopping in to cool off seemed like a great idea. Driving to that empty cobblestone pool in the evening was a totally different experience. Lights adorned the bottom edge of the pool and reflected off the water giving a nice seeing shade of blue. I assumed my customary bow, stepped in, and felt the cool rush of water against my face. Kneeling back in that same position, I started my typical breath routine, the bubbles flowing from my nose. On this night, the surface of each bubble glistened against the pool light. The evening crickets accompanied the gentle sloshes of pool water. Somehow, from those bright summer days, I felt different. The water felt different. It almost felt beautiful. My heart a little more gentle than usual, I felt a little more eager to try floating on my back once more. With a slight pause and easeful sigh, I lifted up my legs again and tilted my head up. A slight flail didn't deter me. The water hitting my face didn't seem to bother me as much. The energy that night felt different. The water felt different. What seemed so heavy and forceful felt lighter, softer, peaceful. I attempted to float on my back once more. This time, I wanted to arch my back a little farther, perhaps let go a little more. Was water really my enemy? Was fear really my enemy? With an ounce more of effort, I arched my back and lifted my head up towards the sky. That summer night had a few stars twinkling amidst the street lights. In this position, the pool water hugged my ears like a natural earmuff. It muffled the crickets and pool water sloshes the way you experience sound in a dream. Distant, yet familiar. My gaze drifted up to the sky, and then it hit me. This is it. I'm floating. I'm really floating. I came back to consciousness and nearly swallowed water in my excitement. One more time. I went through the motions once more. It wasn't that the fear had disappeared entirely. No, it was very much still there. But somehow, I was able to focus less on the fear and more on the experience in front of me. My own breath. The gentle sloshes of water as my head bobbed up and down permeated the pool courtyard. That imagined mountain sanctuary and this midsummer night pool didn't seem so far apart tonight. Fear and freedom. Let's try meditating one more time, Mom. Take a deep breath, relax, and let go. My mom was still wiping all the water from the last round off her face. Mom, the water's clean, you're fine. I know, but I don't like having the water splash across my face, she said. I completely understand. 
Let's try this one more time. Try to put your face underwater for as long as you can, a second more than last time. When you feel the discomfort arise, just notice it and relax. Your fear is a sign of growth. Maybe if you just show me the doggy paddle one more time, I'll just try and copy you, she said. Sure, mom. But instead of watching what I do, watch how I feel. I bobbed towards the pool wall, strapped on my navy blue goggles, and took a deep breath. With a strong kick off the wall, I glided across and flutter kicked to the other side. I was no Olympic swimmer, but those countless summer nights paid off. Feeling my body stream across the pool surface felt so free. Is this what birds feel like when they fly high in the sky? Fear was still here, observing ever so silently in the corner of the room, even when I was teaching my mother how to swim, but it felt less like a foe and more like a friend. The kind of friend that wants the best for you, that doesn't let you settle. Fear is a self-reflection, a window into our deepest internal desires. Fear tells us what is massively important to us, whether we choose to act on it or not. It is a, it is a compass for the soul. And when we embrace fear, and I mean really embrace it, we have the sense that we are doing something much bigger than ourselves, much bigger than our immediate sphere of influence. When we embrace fear, we are embracing our fullest potential. We are embracing possibility. There once was a criminal who was sentenced to death in a kingdom. The king offered him two choices of punishment. One, a rope, a noose around his neck, or the second, what was behind that big, black, scary iron door. The criminal immediately chooses the rope. Out of curiosity, the criminal asks, what's behind the big door? The king chuckles for a second and says, you know, it's funny. I offer everyone the same two choices and everyone always chooses the rope. So, what's behind the big door? The criminal replies. The king pauses for a second and says, freedom but people are so afraid of the unknown that they would rather choose the rope.